This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash US slash get QR code. Welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Um, I lost my voice recently at Emo Night. People were screaming Rufio and Dashboard um, requests too much, so I lost my voice trying to say no to them. Um, but here we are, Evan Weiss, into it over it, in the rain-stricken Brooklyn. On a bed. On a bed. We are actually on a bed. It's so emotional. Yeah. There's a little background music. Um, it's and- my natural habitat right now. <laughs> on the bed. <laughs> Um, and you know what's funny? I was looking up all the bands that you were in. It's obscene. It's out of control. I would like to list them off. Let me see if I got them all. Dude, there's no way. There's over like 20 or 30. Then I don't if have you it. count all the dumb ones that played like one or two shows <laughs> and made a cassette demo or something. I think, <laughs> I think your Wikipedia would be a good like senior thesis project or something. <laughs> I've actually, is there a Wikipedia? Do I have one? There isn't. Yeah, there shouldn't be. Get that out of here. I don't want anyone knowing... I like that. I don't want anyone knowing that. I gotta live <laughs> off the grid. Uh, Demira, The Progress, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right, Left, Right, B.A. Start, Wires on Fire. I wasn't in that band. That's you actually weren't. a band with a guy of the same name. Wow. There's so, another Evan Weiss out there. Can we fix the internet? Someone fix that. <laughs> um, stay Ahead of the Weather. Right. Um, they're There, There, okay. Fantastic, and Pet Symmetry. Right. Which is... Now, there's some deeper cuts, too. There was when I was in high school... There was a band called Map the Growth, which was a, a hardcore band. There was a band called The Funeral Bird. There was a band called The French Connection, which I was in for a couple shows. There was another emo band called Hiroshima Mono More, which released an eight-song EP. And nice. broke up after four shows. There was, uh, what else was there? There was a band called Sleeper Agents, which I played in. There was a band called, um, gosh, there's um, there was a band called Labor, which almost put out a full-length. Um, these are all bands that have recordings that 
if we plugged in my iPod, it'd be the most boring two hours a year. This would be the next <laughs> like Captain Jazz. Uh, For sure, if there's double some, LP. You know what? I started putting out records, and I was like, man, I kind of want to release some of this older crap just to say, just to have it. Yeah, like, yeah. A physical format of it, and uh, but it would really be the biggest like two thousand dollar mistake I could ever make. <laughs> <laughs> um, with with all those bands. Um, and now into it, over it, um, you know, I think, you know, coming back, all those influences, all those different records, um, where did it all start, man? Did you grow up in New Jersey, correct? I grew up in New Jersey. I grew up in a town called Cherry Hill. Um, it's maybe like 15, 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, when I was growing up, there was a really excellent, uh, a really excellent scene for touring shows and um, VFW shows and venues around the Philadelphia area and the South Jersey area. And, um, got exposed at a really young age through uh, friends I'd had in high school and middle school. I was actually at church, like maybe 15 minutes down the road in the other direction, that every Friday they would have shows for free. It's called the Ashland Church. And so, um, you know, and it would be different stuff all the time. It'd be, either be like a ska show or, you know, like a grunge show or just like local punk bands mm-hmm. or whatever. But that was my first exposure to emo and hardcore. It was just being like 12 years old and going to this church every Friday as something to do. Was it local bands or was there be like a headliner and then like It was local? a mixture. Generally it was local stuff, but um, you know, every once in a while like touring bands would come through. And, and What years you know, was like, that? Oh man, this would have been 1996, okay. 97. So um, I think the first band I ever saw at that church that was a, a touring band was Boy Sets Fire. That was my. First, that makes like, sense. That was my first like holy crap! Like this is a thing. What what, re- what record was that? Was like uh, until the sun. Yeah, it would be the day or yeah, day someone out. That did someone out. Yeah. Um. So that was around that era, and then you know all the for some reason all the bands on like Ferret Records would always play you know like early like Trustkill stuff, and then so hardcore was first. That was the first exposure, but it was that. But I'd actually gotten into emo from. Um, I was really into grunge when I was 10 or 11 and my parents were both into pretty modern rock like they were uh, in bands in the 80s and then you know there was a lot of music in our house at mm-hmm. the time so my mom bought me Nevermind when it came out and that kind of sp- spiraled into me getting really into grunge music and um, that was the first CD I ever bought yeah following things like all the bands on Sub Pop yep. and, uh, and that was my my first exposure with Sunny Day Real Estate because they were a band on Sub Pop mm-hmm. it was 1994 you know and so bought uh I think I went to the store hoping to find LP2 and wound up buying Diary, the only <laughs> record that they had. And brought it home and instantly fell in love. And then started going back. We had this record store called Tunes in South Jersey. And I used to go there once a week with my allowance and just buy UCDs of bands that had album artwork that looked like Sunny Day Real Estate. It was like if it, if it looked like that or it had that buy, mm-hmm. I would just buy it. And it was two bucks. Like if CDs were like two bucks or three bucks. It's like. If you strike out, it's no big deal. Yeah. And if you find something awesome, you can really luck out. What were some gems? I remember the first day, <clears throat> the best score day I think I ever had at the used record store, finding new stuff, was I bought 30 Degrees Everywhere, The Age of Octane, and uh, the Captain Jazz discography in one shot. And I couldn't believe how um, unbelievable all three of those records were. And then I think the following week it was like This Afternoon's Malady by Jejun, uh, Boy's Life. Yep. Uh, with the the, um, the self-titled one and then Christy Front Drive Stereo Sound 
And it was like, that was the following That was week. a so good was, couple weeks. Yeah, it was it's incredible. <laughs> I had so much good music, I didn't even know what to do. And so I would just sit in my room and I would listen to those records and, you know, play like, uh, just play like Sega or something. And, and, um, and then when I found out that there were shows in our area, like, I, it, it was right when the internet was starting to happen too and we had like just gotten a computer and, um, and just through research and using file sharing programs and, different websites was able to find out what was going on yeah. in and around my house. Message boards. Yeah, for sure. Picked like, records message like boards. There was like some local South Jersey scene I support with, you know, uh, where there were posts about shows coming on, going on and stuff around the area. And so, I mean, that that's correct. I mean, just the listening back to so many people tell these same stories, it's like so many, grunge, hardcore, and then into like post was, and then emo. It was, it was grunge and then emo. But and, I didn't know how to find emo. And like, that was like I didn't know what shows were at but I knew from going to this church that they just happened to go to hardcore shows so kind of got into hardcore and emo at the same time but I got into emo through finding the records and I got into hardcore through finding the shows so the two kind of came together yeah as I became, as I hit like 15 is when the two sort of came together but but those bands also played together for sure yeah, so it was time, like they yeah. set they, they crossed till you happened to go you would see a hardcore band but the opener would be yeah lighter for sure um it was definitely yeah. It was a cool time too. Like South Jersey got a lot of great bands, and, and, and in my high school especially, there, you know, uh, there was a lot of good hardcore stuff happening. And when I was really young, like the band, the kids that we looked up to that played in bands that were seniors at the time, you know, like, were in the hardcore. Yeah, like we had, there was this dude Jared who went to high school with me, and he used to play in this band called Trading Places. Now he's the drummer in Painted Black. Nice. You know, and it's like, but then we were, you know, he was, we were, you know, he was seventeen. Yeah. He was like fourteen. You know, and we used to see that was like a band that would play at that church that we go to. You know, that's awesome. So it's it was pretty cool, just how everybody. Grew and up. then, would you go to Philly for stuff too? The first time we went to Philly, <laughs> first time my parents would let me go to Philly, we saw a show at this place called the Kill Time, which was at like Thirty Fourth in Baltimore in West Philly, which is when you're like 14, 15 years old is a little fucking uh, dicey. scary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and we saw um, this band Pray for Rain and this day forward and uh, I forget who else might have Elephant's Lost you know just like it was like a film yeah show. but so we we went to that and uh, that was like my first introduction to, to like DIY Philadelphia shows um, there are also a bunch of shows at the church before it was um, before it was our five even mm-hmm. the first Unitarian Church had a lot of shows that we got to see I got to see at the Pride in there didn't even know what I was watching, you know. <laughs> yeah, was that Via tour? Yeah. Uh, no, that was the one with the Ghetto Kids. So that was right. Oh, okay. It was in Casino Alley. Um, that, but I again, like the church shows, didn't feel DIY the way that they, like Kill Time did, or mm-hmm. you know, even like the Rotunda, which was like another place in the city. The church shows kind of felt like they were more organized. Yeah, like, it was actually like you were going to a club. You know? It was just like the basement of a church. Yeah. Um, so was it nonstop shows? When did the sort of the I I want to do this? When I when I found punk rock or emo or hardcore or anything, that was when I stopped caring about school. That was when I stopped caring about anything but just playing in a band or going to shows. Um, and it's a miracle I graduated high school. It's a miracle <laughs> that I even like applied for colleges or took the SATs. It was a miracle that any of that stuff had happened. But um, you know, at the time I was playing in a band and. Uh, it was like my first like when we were 15 we were, I was playing a band The Progress and we started writing music and recording it and putting out records like CDs at the time we never had a vinyl release but um, 
I was trying to make that a thing. And I was trying to go full time with that. But the other I couldn't get the other guys to do it. And Jason was in college and, and uh, when we graduated like obviously when you're in high school you can't do much, but yeah. When we graduated he went to he went to college and Mike got a full time job and it kinda of became increasingly harder to do that. And um, despite the fact that we were banned for eight or nine years, when Intuit Over it started is when I broke that band up and then began taking it full time shortly after that. And so I mean just going back to you know, guitar, what was the thing that you were, you looked up or saw some band and said, all right, I'm doing it? I was actually, I lost a bet when we were in, when we first started playing music together. We, like, learned our instruments together in fourth or fifth grade. And, um, I lost you were a gravitated bet. to guitar? Yeah, we, we wanted to start a grunge band. So we were like, oh, you know, and, and I had bought it, my parents had bought me a guitar, like, just a cheap, like, Squire guitar or something. And, um, it was PB, actually. And uh, PB Predator. <laughs> and uh, it was a PV too. My first guitar, that was awesome. And then, um, <laughs> and then my uh, best friend, his brother, was taking guitar lessons, and so was he. And we were like, oh, we should start a band. And so we all wanted to play guitar. Everybody wanted to play guitar. So Mike's like, I'm gonna play guitar. And I was like, no, man, I'm gonna play guitar. And so we did rock paper scissor to see who play guitar, and I lost. So I had to play bass. Uh, and I, in the fifth grade, you're like, bass sucks. You won't play bass at all. And now I'm so happy that I played the bass because I love playing it now. And I've played it in most of the bands that I've been in. But so I bought a bass and, uh, you know, I've been playing it ever since. Nice. He's the bass player in the progress because of that. Because oh, wow. If, if he had lost the bet, he would have played bass in the progress and I would have been a guitar player. So, that's just... And you might not have had opportunities later. Or... Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> or you could be shredding somewhere. <laughs> Zach Wilde, somebody. Yeah. That's really cool. I mean, just being able to... You know, uh, be able to play both and be able to be confident in both of those. Oh, when did guitar you... was a bass. I actually took lessons for, and I actually, you know, kind of know what I'm doing. I can read music. I can. I uh, played upright through high school and like you know, in my early twenties a little bit. I was in some orchestras and stuff. And, um, guitar was kind of a mistake. I didn't really know what I was doing. So, ah. so I was writing the progress songs starting at uh, after our first EP was done. I started writing a lot of the progress songs, but I was figuring it out as I went. I never took guitar lessons ever. And so I, I figured out power chords and a few basic chords mm-hmm. and then just started making it up. And uh, and so I've developed this really unique style just strictly because I, I have no idea what I'm doing. No idea what chord it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm, Open. I know it sounds good and I know what feels right. And, and that's been... And I know the basics, but I, when it comes out of that, you know, like, I don't know cover songs. I don't know how to play yeah. other people's music. I just know how to do what I do and yeah. that's it. <laughs> was, what was singing? Did singing come easy? Um, yeah, you know, and it's funny, like, Mike and I, who were both in the progress, sang in our, like, choir in high school, you know, and, uh, again, we both came from pretty musical households, so, you know, it was something that was always around. It didn't yeah. seem weird to sing in front of people or to sing at all, you know, it was always just something that was natural and around all the time, so, um, you know, and we wanted to do it. We wanted it to, we wanted it to be good, and we wanted it to be right, and so we tried and worked hard to sure that it was even at a really young age yeah um, so yeah no yeah it was cool that's cool like yeah. most people were like oh I kind of same thing oh I lost a bet I had to be the singer you know kind of thing yeah this no, was... no we, we both wanted to we were like yeah no we want to sing you know like, for some reason it felt like that was like the credibility if you were the singer then that meant you were a really cool guy yeah <laughs> um, when I was going to ask this when did you first hear the word emo first, I heard, first time I heard the word emo I was reading uh I was reading an article in Heart Attack. 
which was the evolution team. And um, the reason I'd gotten heart attack at all for the first time was I bought, um, well, I didn't even buy it. My friend John had a bunch of records that he was getting rid of. And he had inherited them from his older brother or someone, and the records that he was getting rid of, he didn't want them anymore. It was the Honeywell LP, uh, Rorschach Protestant LP, um, the All the President's Men comp, mm -hmm. and uh, what else was he getting rid of? Van Pelt, uh, Souls of Seven. Oh, yeah. And he's like, he's like, I don't have a record player, I don't want these records. He's like, do you want them? I was like, yeah. He gave me those four records. Wow. And so, um, there was a copy of Heart Attack inside the Honeywell jacket. So I was like, what's this? And I pulled it out. You know, Heart Attack City. That's how I learned about Evolution and, and you know, like San Diego, Southern mm -hmm. California hardcore, like 90s hardcore. And uh, that was an eye-opener. That was actually, you know, it's funny. I think about really influential moments of discovering this subculture and that was one of the biggest ones. It was getting that, like those four LPs from my friend John. And that we, I was a freshman in high school. You know, I'd never you put the Honeywell LP on. There's like nothing mm -hmm. quite like that record, and uh, and that Van Pelt record's one of my favorite records of all time. Um, it yeah, still so sounds when, good today. Yeah, it does. like it's you can awesome. like the guitar like, and the drums. Like it's just, you, everything it cuts just through, and it's not mixed like it's not overly mixed. Like there's nothing too loud. It just feels like open. It feels like you can play it as loud as you can, and everything will still cut through. Totally, absolutely. Um, like the American football records. You no, know, I'd never heard well. anyone sing like Chris Leo before. Like yeah. that was the first time I'd ever heard anybody just talk over a song. <laughs> you know, and I thought that was the coolest shit. And uh, but so that was the first time I'd ever heard the word was reading Heart Attack. And I remember buying um, uh, Revolution Summer by Reversal Man, which is mm -hmm. my favorite hardcore record ever written. And the giant like fifty-page zine that comes with that record, mm -hmm. just sitting and reading it over and over and over again and uh, you know and it's funny like I've met since then I'm on tour I've met a few of the people who contributed to that team because I have the tattoo on my forearm and so people notice it when I'm like, from somewhere like, you're like a personal man like, I contributed to that team those guys are my friends you know oh it's awesome and so I get to like, totally geek out about it and, oh, God, I love that record that's cool like, like what you did made such an impact on my life when I was such a young, like, young teenager um, so yeah that was probably the first time that's cool. Was it? And again, it wasn't a negative connotation to it either. No, no, no. It was awesome. It was. It was a really positive one. And, um, you know, because I had heard something to real estate, and I knew that there were bands that sounded like that, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know if yeah, it had a name. I just liked it. Yeah, I just thought it was good. Um, and obviously, you've been through, you know, the changing and what had happened to it. And oh, when the progress was trying to tour, nobody wanted to see a band that sounded like the progress. Nobody wanted to see that because we we just wanted to sound like. Uh, we just wanted to sound like Braid or like uh, um, like Nines and Sixes Mock Orange you know that, that we heard those records and we were like this is the coolest shit yeah. you know, and the, or like you know Minerals and Serenading you know those were their and Sunday Real Estate you know like those were like our biggest influences and we were trying to start a band that sounded like that nobody wanted to hear a band that sounded like that so we would get put on hardcore shows we would get put on metal shows no one gave a fuck and it was kind of weird like our Philly scene kind of exploded right after we broke up mm. and uh, it was it was just kind of bizarre if we'd been if we'd stayed on for another two or three years we might have been able to do something really bad yeah it just you know never worked out when it did 
but it's just that sort of change too of the the name getting sort of tainted a little bit. Yeah. But you're still, because I think you definitely like you got right at the right time, like you caught it, it. right at the end. Yeah. Right at the, like you caught the top of the wave and you came down with it. It was, and not the bad thing. It's like good, that, but it's you you saw it. You had the scene sort of 2001, 2002. Then it starts to kind of. Uh, yeah, lose its luster a little bit. Yeah, like anything that that gains popularity or gets too big or successful, it just gets watered down and contrived, and then it self destructs, and then uh, and then the good you, the good remains, and then it begins to build back up again. And I, that's what the sort of the inspiration behind this, the the site, everything. And I remember the first, I think someone sending like Tom. There's bands today that sound like the stuff you're talking about. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like people are like people know about these bands like I yeah. no one cared I do this site for four years no one and I was like they're like no no there's these bands and um, it would be you know if it was kind of like stars or top shelf stuff or no sleep you know I started kind of diving and then it, it kind yeah. of reinvigorated everybody and now we're at this moment where for sure the cream came back <laughs> up by all these bands remembering I just I don't know how they found it like how did they because I mean yes the internet but yeah. like how did it Sort of I, mean, I, like, I, I connected myself, to that because I was in it, but like people are now still connecting to it. I ask myself the same thing, you know. And there's people now, kids now, who are getting influenced by bands who were around five years ago or four years ago. Yeah, you know, like um, you know, it's funny. A band like Algernon Cadwallader was a great example. They were a band for like four years before anyone gave a fuck, and we they were like our unsung heroes. Like they would yeah. play. Before that, they were in a band called Halfway to Holland, and Halfway to Holland was supposed to do a split with the Progress, and we'd been friends with them since we were in high school you know and then they broke up and started out like Algernon maybe a year and a half later two years later and we, were, we thought they were the greatest thing mm-hmm. like we would go to see them all the time or play shows with them and there'd maybe be five ten kids there and I remember there was there was a show that happened that I have a poster for in my house and it was 2005 it was Up Up Down Down The Progress Pattern is Movement Jenna Berlin Algernon Cadwallader there was 25-30 people there if that show happened now it would be obscene. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's People funny. just didn't know what was People kind of in front of they them? they find it, and they, they find that now because it's a little more recent, and, that, and that's their first, that's their first exposure. Like, younger kids now, that's their first exposure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I hope that kids now, or people who are just discovering it now, know to look even further. Yeah. Because that's how I was, and I, and I think that helped shape a lot of my respect for punk and hardcore but you've been doing it organically when I've I mentioned you know to a few people you know that certain ages and just trying to engage like yeah, I'm doing it over you know it was like they had oh I saw him this time and then I saw him this time and it was you did it organically when at the time you could have just put up a band camp and been done with it but like you did it sort of the old school way like promise yeah, that's you know you've toured and you went through Boston three times a year and yeah. it was like the record cycle or whatever it was like I don't, I don't know if you did that consciously no, but no, that's no. I mean that's the only way I know I remember when the progress was becoming a band and starting to tour for the first time that was right when things like MySpace were starting to happen and we had played shows and done tours before websites like that existed and all we knew was like you go on bookyourownfuckinglife.com or yeah. you get like the fucking the zine the book your own fucking life zine tells you, you the show yeah venues. it tells you who does the shows and you call them on the phone and you're like hey we got this band and um, you know, we were mailing demos to people. We were printing out our directions in MapQuest folders, you know, and like, yeah. or writing them down, you know, like, <laughs> like looking them up on app, like how to Turn left list, on Main you know, Street. So, um, 
uh, we were doing it the old school way, and when when and we were at the tail end of that. We were one of the last bands that was probably a, a new band that had to go through that. And when a website, when website booking and website hype and and doing things like buying fans and stuff like that started happening, and that became like the change in the music industry for a couple years, mm -hmm. we had no idea how to do that. We were so in the dark, and I think that really. Um, in a lot of ways hurt the band but at the same way helped us maintain a really great work ethic and uh, and kept it grassroots and kept it authentic because you had done it already that way, way. we knew how you know I mean we we weren't we just weren't in the curve to be able to learn like we we, we probably could have figured it out but we just uh, for whatever reason we just didn't and is it is it overwhelming a lot of the tech the technology stuff that sort of now you have to do it's every like social networking social networking or even I mean I just even think you're, I saw some photos of a show that I was at someone posted them and it was from 97 or whatever everyone's looking at the band yeah there's no one's looking at their phone and I look yeah. at shows now even you know the promising show when I saw you it's like what are people doing the second Davey's like boom, boom, you know like tip, it's like yeah. Funk, yeah. swipe swipe and I just uh, I I don't know. It's like, it's what did you fill your time with before that? Yeah, you talk to the person. You'd be like, oh, hey, <laughs> how many more people would we have met? Yeah. If it was different now. I, mean, I, Yeah. I don't even know. I remember like when I, my first experience living in Chicago. When did you move to Chicago, by the way? Well, when I was 18, I graduated high school and I, uh, I went to Chicago on a trip with a couple friends. And while we were there, um, I met this guy, Brian. Brian needed someone to sublet his apartment for a couple months. I'd agreed to do it. Um, I'd fallen, well, first of all, I was like so enamored with the city. It's like, oh my god, my favorite bands are from here. Like, I've heard so much about this place. But I'm 18 years old. I'm yeah. Bright eyed. Of course you tell. Yeah. So I fucking tell Brian, I'm like, I'll sublet your place. Like, hell yeah. You know, and, and so it went out there for two to three months. It was 18 years old. It was three blocks from the Fireside Bowl in the last year that the Fireside Bowl existed. Oh my god. So <laughs> I would just walk to the Fireside every night. And I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a, there was a, a house phone in the apartment. So I could call my mom. Get messages. You know? Yeah. And, uh, but I would just use the internet and go on, you know, mpshows.com, which was who was booking Fireside at the time, and see what was going on every night. And there were five bucks. They were all ages. So you just go up there and, you know, mm -hmm. scrounge together five dollars and go to the show. And so I saw a lot of really awesome stuff that year. But it was the same thing. I was all alone in this new city, didn't know anybody. And, uh, and that's how I met people at the Fireside. You know? And so after a couple months, I moved back home. And the Progress was a band for another another uh, five years, five, six years. And then after 52 weeks was over, after I'd started it over and finished 52 weeks, mm -hmm. it was like the first... That was done in Chicago. It was done in New Jersey. Done in New Jersey. So the first week that 52 weeks was done, like I'd done 20 years, 23 to 24 to 52 weeks, October 1st, I moved to Chicago after that. So... Um, Almost immediately as that project was finished. I oh wow! That was my last my last year in New Jersey. <laughs> so Chicago's been your base since. Yeah, since two thousand nine, two thousand eight. Awesome. Over two thousand eight. Feel pretty connected. Yeah, at this point, for sure. I think the first couple of years were pretty tough, but um, since then I've fallen into a circle of friends, and it's it's become a really nice transition. Nice. Yeah. And then obviously it's close to either coast or. Oh, that's it's perfect for touring. Yeah. You're like right in the middle of everything. And it's, and there's bands coming through all the time. It's a really great music community. It's it's been really welcoming to everything that I've that I've done. Yeah. 
I mean, and too, I mean, just the, I was thinking about it today with a few people, um, remind me of Braid, um, just with the output of stuff. It's yeah. like splits, or if it's touring, or if it's, if it's, uh, you know, mentions, and I think, where does that sort of drive come from? Is it just, everything's in your head, I gotta get it out, or? It's just I can't, it's, like, if I finish something, I have to be doing something else. And, uh, and whether it's going on a tour, or writing a record, or working on something. I'm also really notorious for if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I like so that. So if we come up with a, a crazy idea, or we're like, oh, we should go and do this, and it's like, yeah, we should, and we will. You know, and I'll figure out a way to make it happen. Um, Closing the loop. Yeah, I like to be a man of my word. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and that started, I think, really with the 52 Weeks thing. You know, that was like, I made this outrageous claim. I'm going to write 52 Weeks songs in 52 Weeks, you know, and put it online. Originally, it was just free online. And I posted it. I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the year. Come back every week and download mm-hmm. the song. And when that, when we finished that, and it was over, I was kind of like, wow, well, I guess I could probably do anything I want mm-hmm. like that if I can complete that goal then I can complete pretty much any other goal that I want to do that's awesome um, so yeah at this point it's just been a matter of always having something to do and uh cause if I was home if, if there was nothing to write or nothing to work on I'd be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs I yeah. wouldn't be doing anything you know and that's not fun I don't feel accomplished doing that yeah so yeah that's basically been the reason why I'm and then what playing with playing with a band or playing by yourself what's do you, what, what do you like um, there's merits to both yeah it's uh, I mean especially like right now like we're on a Pet Symmetry tour right now this band is awesome because it's so fun you know it's really low pressure the songs are fun to play um, it's easy you know it's just three of us so it's a, a breeze mm-hmm. um, and we've divided the responsibility pretty evenly so there's no there's not too much falling on the one person um, and there, there's a similar scenario you know, it's not a super busy band. We just like to write songs, and that's really what that comes down to. With Into It Over It, there's merits to both. Playing solo shows is easy because it's it's me, and I can you control. Can stop, you I can stop. You can fuck with it. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. I can goof around. I can say and do what I want. <laughs> it's completely in my hands. Playing the full band is fun for its own reason. It's loud and it's you know boisterous and you can move around more. And it's um, the shows are more exciting. Mm-hmm. I but I think they both have their merits, and I. I like it either way. Hey, if you need an exciting new record to look forward to, Iodine Recordings, the Boston-based record label, is releasing the 30th anniversary edition of Quicksand's classic debut, Slip, on vinyl. This is the album's first time on vinyl in over a decade with completely remastered sound. This deluxe gatefold edition with Slipcase comes with a poster, a deluxe LP, and a 64-page hardcover book. The book chronicles the album's history and has commentary from Anthrax, Hole, Rise Against, Youth of Today, Papa Roach, and more. Experience this iconic post-hardcore record in a brand new way with the 30th anniversary edition of Quicksand Slip. Available for pre-order now and in stores on March 31st, 2023. And since they returned in 2021, Iodine Recordings has released almost 20 albums to date from bands like Stretch Armstrong, The Darling Fire, One Line Drawing, Jerome's Dream, Sulker Fire, and more. Head on over to iodinerecordings.com for more and follow them on Instagram at Iodine Recordings. And how's, how's like the your songwriting changed since it's kind of... I mean, has it always been full-time to you? Have those, like... Full-time to me, yeah, probably. I would think so. So it hasn't really changed then, like, the songwriting? I mean, if it wasn't... if Even in, in like, high school and stuff, if I was playing in the progress, I was also playing in two or three other bands that were also keeping me busy. So there was always something else to do. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't... If the progress wasn't playing, if I couldn't get the three of them to rehearse, I could 
get three other people to rehearse in a hardcore band or in a, you know another new band or something. Um, you know, and for now it's it's yeah, I would say it's the same. The work ethic's the same. There's always something to do. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I got this really good question from someone out there um, that asked about Connecticut Steps. Um, what about it? <laughs> they said it's such a heartbreaking song. They were they were like, "How do you play that oh, yeah. <laughs> in live?" Uh, you know, it's it's, well, so it's about our friend Mitch, and uh, you know, I think I think Mitch would have wanted us to play that song, and. Um, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, I think they 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 said that they're like it's probably going to be really hard. Yeah, just because it, it's they just they hurt like this is such an emotional song and it's a, it's be able it's to a, it's more it's more therapeutic to sing it than to, to not sing it. Mm-hmm. It helps personally. It helps me cope with that scenario better to like have a release how I feel about that situation. And I'm sure people take that same thing for them. Um, That song, I think, is important to me and it's important to a lot of other people for a similar reason. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I like the song a lot. I I absolutely was able to sum up exactly what I wanted to say and say it. Um, That's a good feeling. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I I really like that song a lot and I think that's a big part of it, too. Yeah. I don't hate that song. I'm not angry about that song doesn't make me feel pain as much as it makes me feel uh, love for my friend. You know? mm-hmm. And then, too, I mean, switching just to the, all the, you've worked with so many different labels and, and splits and stuff. How have you, you know, kept yourself from having to sign a Deep Elm Records deal? You know? Or... Well, let's be too soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, doing the, doing the 12 Towns project, it was, it was, very clear at the beginning to everybody that that was how that project was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. The idea behind the project was to do six records on six different labels with six different bands with six different artists. And it was supposed to be a, a giant collaboration of all these different people, how mm-hmm. we're connected and how this is a community of, a community of artists. Um, with that, um, you know, No Sleep had done majority of the releases aside from that. You know, they did the 52 weeks release. They did mm-hmm. the the Koji split and they did the Such Gold split they did proper so the No Sleep had their hand in most everything that we've done and or I've done and um you know when it came time to do the newer bands it was kind of like well you know we should just see what else we can do you know and we're there they're there kind of having a connection with Mike and Polyvinyl that was really nice mm-hmm. and having Asian Man be a part of that symmetry was really cool you know just hitting up Mike and Hey, we started this band like here are the songs what do you think and him wanting to release it we thought it was really rad it's like you're going old school new school each time where if it's like polyvinyl or well, it's a, top shelf I was it, going to be a marketing major in college so this is where my yeah this is the background no it's good though because it helps connect out. everybody yeah for sure it, it, that's the thing that I really gravitated to about being like I was like holy shit he gets the old he's doing it new it's like everyone should be stoked on this yeah I hope so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's a lot. That's that's a lot of the sentiment just from that I'm hearing from people that it's it's coming from the right place. I'm not saying everyone needs to go to the same shows or be, but at least know the history and come yeah. come out and be yeah, able to connect. From, yeah. yeah. That's because that's how I am with stuff. And like, if I didn't, you know, when you hear one thing, you like, you want to find out where that came from and where what looking else at the liner notes. With that. Yeah. And like that was, you know, it's funny. My friend Lindsay works for J Tree, and I just saw her the other night, and. I, that was a really great I was thinking about this when I was leaving uh, 
seeing her was like what Jay Tree did for me and like how that labels had so many different styles of music and how when you found one band like I think The Promise Room was actually the first band that I found and then wanted to discover everything else that was then you're like Joan of Arc you were, like Lifetime Turning you know, Point or whatever yeah, anything you know so you're like wow this label's cool like what else can I find mm-hmm. that was a really perfect example of that I'm hoping that's the same like it's now like if you're you know my band or or you know any band on like County Lucky Stars or Top Shelf or, mm-hmm. or you know even further than that you want to know where those bands came from what influenced them who their friends are you know who they think and the record you know stuff like that yeah I want to ask you too why did you think it happened again why did it I don't know I've I, I, you know what there, well I've, I've actually thought about this before and, and my you know Koji and I had, had a long talk about it once and the conclusion we came up with which he quoted so well was that uh, there's no economy for bullshit it was one of my favorite quotes I think he's ever said and he was talking about we were both talking about how when um, when it kind of came back was in this situation where the economy is like shit and and no one has money to spend on big shows or big productions or anything. And it just becomes, it, at that point, it just becomes kids banging it out in the garage or banging it out in the basement. You know, and breaks it, it back down. Own. Yeah, and it, it, it restarts everything from the ground up again. Like nobody wants to spend $20 on a big rock show. They want to spend five bucks. Or the million sweat. dollar video. Yeah, for sure. It becomes, it becomes authentic again. And I think that was a big part of it. I think the, the community that, from where it had started in the 90s and what it became to in the mid-2000s had become so trite that it can't go anywhere else. It just has to collapse. And then it... It just started. got so glossy. Yeah. And if you know where to find the... If you put in the time, you can find the... the real again and be able to experience that again. And I'm glad I kind of switched gears and, and restarted my own stuff right around the time that that shift was happening. It was a part of it. Yeah. Um, kind of like lucky you know and I kind of fell into touring by mistake I had a job and I started touring and then lost the job ah. and that kind of just <laughs> kept me touring because I had nothing else to do like, yeah I go back and they're going to go back and find another job it's kind of like well if I don't do it now I'm not going to do it at all so mm-hmm. might as well just go for it now and if it fails then fuck it I'll get another job yeah um, if it doesn't fail then I hopefully can do it yeah what are some <laughs> other favorite records from this you know that the late 90s or early 2000s that you think you know, people I don't know if people do might know, know or about. ones that you like think people should for the new people that maybe are getting into stuff or there's you should record. definitely listen to this <laughs> there's or. a record that I'm uh, that I was thinking about the other day that was such a offbeat forgotten record but I really think people need to hear it and I think it's one that no one talks about ever but it's July to October by Lazy King I have a Lazy King story keep going if that I fucking great band. Fucking love that record, and no one knows about that record. You talk to anybody about Lazy King, nobody fucking knows about it. And they've got two full. Well, the first full length is great, and July to October is kind of like a collection LP, but that collection is so excellent. Um, yeah, else? everyone should look out Lazy King. The one of my first jobs in the city, the a guy standing next to me was like, uh, he was doing the same thing I was doing. We'd never met before, and he was like. I was like, oh, I was in some bands or whatever. I was like, oh, cool, whatever, what bands? He was like, oh, I was in Lazy Cane. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I saw you open up for uh, at the drive-in in Jimmy World. He was like, he was like, oh no. And so like, whenever I introduced him, and they'd be like, oh, I'm, you know, whatever. I'm like, he's in Lazy Cane. He'd be like, shut up, shut up. He would like. <laughs> <laughs> There's a similar experience. In my life.
the deep saves today, and he was talking to me about his old bands. Mentioned Empire State Games, and I geeked out for an hour about that band. <laughs> I care less about any of the other bands. It was just like, holy fuck. You know, Circus Strongman. This is like more offbeat ones. I don't, you know, I, I go back to, uh, I go back to that Van Tal record a lot. Mm-hmm. To, um, to June, I think people should. Yeah, that was a band that, uh, you know, a forgotten band. Or not forgotten, but that this afternoon's Maladay record was unbelievable. My college band was pretty much Hum and Jejun. That's what we sounded like. Yeah, yeah. But it was like that's what I wanted the girl singer, but I wanted like the heaviness. For sure. But yeah, um, not hardcore. You know, and you know, we were talking about Tristeza earlier before you walked in. Like that was a, that like spine and sensory and dream signals were two incredibly important records to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to go that's which that kind of record plays into. You know, the sort of instrumental, the intricate, oh, but cool. then it's like, it's epic and there's a, there's a, you know, Castavet kind of feels like yeah, that sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I and mean, you know, it's funny, I play Tristezza for, for Nick, we'll be hanging out and we'll play that record, he thinks that man's so utterly boring. It's like, fuck, you just don't get it. <laughs> he needs better speakers or something. <laughs> I, but that was like, so, that was a really important band to me. Um, I listen to a lot of instrumental music, almost to a fault. That was like envy. Part of me getting into it. I actually, I've seen envy before. I've never been. Not that I don't like envy, but that was never a band mm-hmm. that struck a chord with me as much as some other ones do. Um, that Tenabra record, Tenebre, Tenebre, Tenabre. I've never I don't heard know. It said that loud, so I don't know how to say it. But I've it's like Gloria Record, Gloria Record. You never yeah, yeah. Nick, Nick showed me that band. Um, you know, a year and a half ago, I'd never heard them before, and it's just guitar, upright bass, and drums. And it's all instrumental, but it's beautiful. And it's it's something I would I want to know how to find one of them so I can put that record out because I feel like more people need to hear that. Yeah. Um, I would love to do instrumental stuff. Just that's all I, yeah. you know. Forget the vocals. Like make it interesting sure. enough where I wanted to do that. Yeah, around here and, and I already got so much else going on. I, didn't do that I dare you to say it, and then you're gonna have to do it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there any personal highlights so far from from doing it over? Yeah. Oh, there's been a bunch. Um, Going to Europe for the first time is incredible. Um, just, know, just being able to play so many shows with bands that I look up to and admire that are, you know, that I would have never had the chance to play with years ago, but you know, fortunately, I'm able to have the chance now. Um, really, just the satisfaction of releasing so many things and getting to a point where I feel like I can, if I work on something and get it done, that it can see the light of day and, and people get stoked on it yeah if one person's getting stoked it's awesome but the fact that I can just continue to do it at this point is is really cool that's awesome um, you know and every year I set new goals for myself and then I, I can reach those goals then I'm, then I'm satisfied um, what's, what's the goal for 2014 I haven't made my 2014 goals yet my 2013 ones were to finish the new record and make it different than the last one and then to go to Japan and uh what was another 2013 goal? To do a full band for the US. So those were, and those three will get done this year. So. Kids, listen to this. He's set goals, and now he's accomplished them. <laughs> Have you seen Monsters <laughs> University? I haven't yet. I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it then. Uh, should I go see it? You gotta go see it. Okay. Because that's what the movie winds up being. It's about setting goals. Nice. And working hard and achieving what you need through hard work and not through any anything else for it. The in, for the entitled generation. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I would love to hear. I want to talk about the new stuff too. Um, you have a seven inch coming out, correct? With a book. That's already out. It's out. Yeah, it's called Life of Suffering. Let's start that again. Um, we... So your seven inch. Hold on. So your seven inch and photo book that's out. Yeah. Tell me about how that came about. Um, it's called Life is Suffering, which it, I thought it was really funny that a lot of people thought the title was serious, that we actually thought Life was Suffering. <laughs> it was actually an inside joke um, based off the Buddhist uh, April Path, which, you know, whenever anything mildly goes wrong, any, like at any time, one of us, one of me or my friends would just be like, ah, oh, Life is Suffering. And just <laughs> um, but so it's about, the book is just basically documenting the first full band, uh, full band tour down the fest that we had last October basically just making a photo memory book um, for people who were there and for uh, for us and, um, what's, what's really the reaction been it's been pretty cool I mean it's such a niche thing you know like we made it because it was something cool to make and it was a, uh, it's a testament to you know getting to that point with it, like that particular point that it over where we could be a full band thing and um, you know, kind of like taking the next step with mm-hmm. it um you know, and there was really low pressure. It came out great. It looks great. And, you know, us doing the live recordings that accompany it were really cool. It's, it's really just something that if, if anyone's, like, a diehard fan, then they'd really appreciate it. Cool. Um, you know, and it was another interesting thing to release. You know, I don't think a, a lot of bands are afforded to, to not only do something like that, but have people get excited about releasing something like a book. So... Um, it came out great. It looks great, and it perfectly sums up how the tour went and, and what our attitudes were like, and, and our sense of humor about the whole thing. So nice. Um, yeah, it was just a cool release. Cool. Now, what what other kind of stuff have you thought about doing? If it's vinyl releases or anything kind of different, or um, fifteen gatefold? You know, yeah, no, I don't know about that. I, you know, at this point, there's a label called uh, Struggle Town in Glasgow who's doing a picture disc. I haven't done a picture disc yet. Awesome. And it's just going to be a seven inch split with this band called The Great Albatross who's really my friend Wesley who um, used to go under the moniker Forest Smile when he lived in the States but he got married moved to Glasgow and, and he started the band out there and the songs are beautiful um, but see yeah they're doing a little a little seven-ish little picture disc for us nice picture disc before so that would be cool um, and then you know aside from that you know it, really the idea is just kind of come randomly I don't think uh <laughs> I haven't given any thought to anything super crazy for the following year. I think once this record's done, I'm going to chill out for a little while. I think something going, it's going on something like releases that I'll have been a part of that are coming out in 2013. It's reaching like 17. That's some Bob whether, Pollard yeah, era, actually. Whether it's something I actually sing on or something that yeah. I'm just part of, like just even like sing on for a second or work on for a second, like it's getting up there. So I think i got to just take a chill. <laughs> <laughs> um... Can you talk about the new record? Yeah. Um, uh, what's the? What are the thoughts? What are the feelings? I know that the whole usual, hey, new record, it's my best thing ever, or, and all all those things that always happen. But for you, you know, having another record, having probably a big push behind it, and yeah, yeah, a lot of effort. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we did the record. Uh, did the record with this guy named Brian Deck. Brian is a Chicago native. He has worked on things like, well, he's done every record that Iron and Wine has ever done. Um, he's done some stuff for Modest Mouse. He used to play in Ugly Casanova and in Red Red Meat. Um, he worked on the Rex records. He worked on the Him records, mm-hmm. the good Him, not the not the crazy yeah. Him. <laughs> um, 
You know, and he's he used to work at Eiffel with Brad Wood. He's worked at Engine in Chicago for a long time. Um, so I kind of got hooked up with him through Mike Kinsella. And at the time, we were trying to figure out who was going to do the record, and I was really stressing out about it. I couldn't figure out who I thought would be a good fit, and Mike recommended Brian. Brian had done uh, New Leaves and At Home With, right? Is that... Ghost Town and... Uh, was it Ghost Town? Yeah. The last two. Yeah. He'd worked on a, he'd worked on a couple of records with Mike, and Mike really liked working with him. And uh, when I was describing what I wanted, Mike seemed to think that he'd be a really good fit. He's like, I think Brian would be a great fit for what you want to do. So we had some demos for a couple of the new songs, and uh, we reached out to Brian. We're like, hey, you know, Mike told him, kind of, we kind of think he might be the right fit for this. What do you think? Some of the demos, and he loved them. He called me right away and wanted to do it. And the availability was at the right time. And it just oh, it's awesome. So we booked, we did it at Soma in Chicago, Illinois, which is John McIntyre from Tortoise's studio. Mm-hmm. So it's filled with all of the Tortoise gear, first of all, which is just an insane amount of gear. <laughs> and, uh, and we spent about three weeks, um, tracked, it, tracked it at Soma, mixed it at uh, Brian's house. And um, it was just a completely different creative process than most of the other interover records. While, while some things remain the same, um, like for example a lot of the Insert Over records a lot of the music's written on the spot a lot of the um, the general shells are all there but a lot of the additional guitar second mm-hmm. guitar um, additional instruments are all written literally as we're recording so that vibe is still very much present but um, his recording technique was a lot different it was a lot more about building the songs around the vocals as opposed to having um, just doing things for the sake of doing them like doing second guitar just for the sake of doing mm-hmm. second guitar that wasn't a thing this time um, and I think it really speaks to the songs um, it was a cool pairing and, and we both agreed that Brian had never done a record quite Brian never worked with anyone quite like me and I'd never worked with anyone quite like Brian interesting so together it kind of made this really cool balance because I was coming up with ideas that he wouldn't have thought of and vice versa and uh, together we could kind of make this thing that was a little unique that's um, really cool. Yeah. We're pretty excited about it. And it you know, it, it doesn't sound like any of the other records. And it's, it's got its own feel. It feels like a record. It feels like an album. So, um, full, in- full instrumentation on everything? Yeah. Or, great. Yeah. Um, you know, some songs are more stripped back than others, but uh, it's definitely, it was uncharted territory for me, but I think it speaks volumes to the, the style and the vibe of the record. And I think as a fan, someone hearing that is going to say, that's what I want. I would hope so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I don't. I see both sides of the coin because I don't like it when a band changes completely, but I do like it when a band is able to grow, you know, and, and take another step as, as far as musicianship goes or um, style, you know. I think that's what I was trying to do, trying to find a balance between the stuff I've already done and where I would like to go. So, cool. <laughs> that's awesome. What band is considered emo that's not? Considered emo that's not. I don't consider anything that uh, that came out in between the years. Well, I can't say I can't make a blanket statement like that. But I never thought anything like I never thought anything on the drive-through roster was emo. I never thought anything um, on like the fuel. Well, no, that's not true. I would have considered Chamberlain an emo band. But most of the fuel by ramen, so early. Most of the fuel by ramen roster, I thought was 
Well, it turned into Yeah, like, I never thought Fall Out Boy was an emo band. You know what I mean? And Or My Chemical Romance. I never thought that bullshit was emo. Did we what just become best friends? <laughs> <laughs> when that kind of... You know, and then that sucked, because you try to tell people, you know, there was a period of time where you'd be like, yeah, people would ask what style of music your band was, and you'd be like, oh, you know, we're an emo band, and they would just immediately assume you sounded like... I, I mean, know, that was the inspiration for the Alistair site. or something, and yeah. you're like, no. You know, like, no fucking way. Get the fuck out of here. What was that... What was that uh, like, <laughs> but it's like there was that BuzzFeed thing it was like 36 like pop punk records yeah and there wasn't a pop, pop punk band on the list yeah. like there wasn't there wasn't Queers there wasn't like the yeah, Riverdales the, band, the Vandals weren't on there yeah whereas you know Screeching Weasel wasn't on there probably and all these people were taking it so seriously and I go guys it was BuzzFeed they do cat gifts and you're listening to them about music let me go to TMZ and ask them yeah, uh, you know the top mean? hardcore records from Victory Years 92 to 98. No. Yeah. You know, and I didn't th- that doesn't mean, just because I don't think they're emo doesn't mean that I didn't think, that I didn't like some of those bands. I just thought it was a misappropriation of the name. And, you know, I, th- I thought that was just pop music or like rock. That was, to me, the hair metal phase of emo. <laughs> it was the arenas, yeah, the like hair. When, like when, like when band, like kind of like when Warrant, Hard Poison. In the uh, hair metal, we you know when like gangrene started yeah. like, uh, <laughs> doing that shit. It just turned. Yeah. It turned where you can have your bus, but the bus turned into, you know, two buses. Yeah. And three, and everyone can be successful and make as much money as they want. It just... It, it, it turned that way and then the mainstream yeah but then you know there are bands that I do think still like I would still say a band like Death Cat for Cutie is an emo band and they're enormous you know yeah and so it, there's it's just a matter of I mean really that's like so that's like splitting hairs it's like fucking you know I know and completely this... completely opinionated like in my opinion this is this way but um, those debates happen every time there's for sure you know, and without a doubt it's fine I just there's a certain point where I if the band is yes you could be in hardcore bands beforehand but where is it coming from yeah is it what's, what's the am I am I licking the bass or am I playing it you know are you are you putting together these songs or is it we made an arena rock record because you can do that it's fine yeah, I, think it's, I think it's just all about vibe and about presentation and um, and authenticity how, you, how it's being presented and uh if it's real versus if it's just an act and that's that's where I think it's the, the biggest line in the sand that's drawn is whether or not it's authentic yeah I also did the I used to do the AP rule I would count how many swoops were in the AP magazine so how many bands had like it was the you know the younger bands that submitted demos I'd count who had the hair in their face and who didn't and it based on that ratio I could tell how the how angry I was or how <laughs> I was like alright you know it's 60-40 non-swoop alright we're yeah. getting better I mean I've had swoop in my life but my swoop came more from uh, what the In Love With The Jets Antioch Arrow record <laughs> or like the uh, what the Refused the Refused yeah. music video you know <laughs> that was sort of the Jingo the, Jerome, the Jerome's Dream like yeah. uh, you know that or the Locust kind of I think the hair swoop is the Jinko of Mid two thousands. See, I disagree. I think it just got. I think that's another thing that just got stolen and then bastardized. You know, the like, the Jenkos? Are you are you no, sticking Jinkos, up for Jenkos? No, no, I'm not sticking up for Jenkos. Well, you know the first the first hardcore <laughs> show I ever went to. One of well, not the first one, but one of the first I ever went to was uh, I saw Turmoil and fuck yeah, um, 
Sorry. It was, yeah. it was, <laughs> it was turmoil on Ensign, and I was I was definitely moshing in a pair of Jenkos, Jenko khaki Jenkos with, nice. with a beaded necklace and a button-up shirt. Are those available? There's photos, or is there video? Oh, I, there might be video online. All right, if anyone could find that, feel free to send that yeah. in. <laughs> definitely, definitely something pretty early on in my youth. Any uh, any hardcore show I went to, it wasn't a show until someone covered uh, Chokehold. Yeah, that, that makes sense, especially yeah. growing up around here. That'd be, that'd be if you didn't cover them, I think the sort of like a Bane hoodie. Yeah. You don't. The show doesn't you start until someone has a Bane hoodie. Yeah. Okay, the show can start. That's how it would. Classic. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. I mean, you want to keep going with opinionated, opinionated email questions? I got